So, so Jarrett, you sent us an article today, just now, oh, well, about I Apple Store. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked <laughs> up look, and we're live. Look up and we're live. So you you sent this story about the uh, the Apple Store. Could you could you summarize it? Yes, let me do it. So I saw it in on Instagram, and I saw it. CoinDesk had put it up. I need to speak into the mic. CoinDesk had put it up, and I thought it was really interesting. And I made some comments on it on LinkedIn. But it says Apple is maintaining its thirty percent Apple tax on in app purchases. The iPhone maker's de facto ban on NFT trading in apps is likely to remain as in-app NFT transaction must use Apple's Rails for in-app commerce, where Apple demands a 30% cut. The policy update bans uh, apps from offering exclusive access to NFT owners or from linking their users to third-party sites where they may buy, sell, and mint outside the Apple ecosystem, thus evading the fee um, derisively known as the Apple tax. Creator and marketplaces have long balked at the fees, choosing um, to limit in-app NFT functionality rather than lose a massive slice of the revenue. And this is really, what's up? Let's go, Jessica. This is really interesting because I think, was it Apple or was Facebook? Meta, excuse me. Meta was also like, yo, when we have NFTs, we're going to take like 40. Hey, Syrah, we're going to take like 40% of your cut. And what I posted on LinkedIn was like, I feel like Web2 and TradFi is fees, and I want Web3 and DeFi or crypto or whatever this is to be different. Like, I don't want fees. And if there are fees, that's fine, but they have to show me value. Like, if I pay gas fees when I'm minting something on the Ethereum blockchain, then that's fine because it was proof of, um, it was at least proof of work or at least there's proof of stake. So I'm paying for security. I'm paying for there's something that I'm getting in in that exchange. Stability of some kind. Yeah, I'm get I'm getting something back. Apple's just taking their cut because they can. They're just being greedy. That's the way I read it. And I don't really think that they're understanding where Web3 is, or maybe they are, and they're like, screw it, whatever. We're multi-trillion dollar company or whatever they were at their height. I think they cracked two, two trillion. And we're we can just be a bull in the China shop and not really care. But I think long term that's not gonna work out. But what what are you guys thinking? When you think of a 30% fee to exchange something in crypto. I mean, is it, I guess, and I'll, and I'll hand this question and I'll attach this question like a molecule to your question and give this to Jay. Um, it, 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 what is the difference between a 30% Apple tax on an app versus uh, a Web3 technology? Like what, what does either one matter? Like, would we tolerate any of it? So I guess uh, to jump on your question, then hand that to Jay, Jay, like, does it matter between the two? And why would crypto, why would people having crypto solutions go along with that? Mm. I mean, the, the only reason you'd go along with it is if you didn't have a choice or if you didn't know any better. I, I don't know how much longer the whole like Apple 30% thing is going to last. Um, and I, maybe actually last very long because Facebook said that they, they were going to do a 30% service charge as well right for for all of their metaverse yeah. and, and nft stuff yeah um, but you know what one thing that happened a couple months ago uh is apple bought a an online bank i forget what it's called i think it's called it might be called cam but i might be wrong but they bought an online bank and i think that the whole point about buying the online bank was similar to what Jack Dorsey was trying to do with Block is that Apple wants to, rather than owning the rails on, on which you make payments, is to create an infrastructure where you can build your own railroad and yeah. then they own the foundations for that railroad. And so now instead of charging you a flat 30%, at every stop, they can charge you 5%, five and then I end up making more in the long road. Jay, that's fascinating. And I'm glad you shared that because that to me is where I don't want to see Web3 go. I don't want to see Web3 go to Apple and Meta basically creating a playground. And then we all have to lease out that playground to be able to do what we want. And then we think we have pseudo ownership when really they're the ones who can say, no, you need to leave the playground. That's kind of what I don't want because I already feel like that's where we are now. And if you think about individual, I'm thinking about from like a brand. So like 
you know, not crypto bros, we have our brand and we exist on LinkedIn and we exist on YouTube and we exist on Twitter and you should all follow yeah. those, but we can get deplatformed. <laughs> and I guess yeah. when I say playground, I mean platforms, but we can get deplatformed and then all of a sudden end up like Alex Jones, where maybe we have something that we want to <laughs> share with the world, but now we can't do it. And this is not any sympathy like, for Alex Jones. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I am. I know you boys. Not political. NPA. Not political advice. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> do whatever you want with politics. I don't really think anyone likes Alex Jones on either side. There's like a fringe people that you know really support him. But the point being, I think deplatforming is such a Web two idea, and it shouldn't happen in the world of Web three. I just don't think that that should happen. I, I think that there should be things put in place where that doesn't happen. And I was talking about this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe go a little bit away from this, but it picks up where you were talking about Jack Dorsey and Square. And Jack Dorsey is coming up with a whole new social media thing, and it's called Blue Sky. And I signed up early, and I think you guys should too. I don't know if it's BlueSky.com. You just go put your email, and then they'll probably hit you up when they're ready for the beta, so you can create a platform. But what I'm assuming is Blue Sky, the back end, is going to already come with a crypto wallet, which is what Twitter is currently in development, putting in a crypto wallet. I'm assuming it's already going to come with Square. It will have crypto wallet with Lightning on the back end. There it is. Blue, is that blueskyweb.org? I'm going to click on that and open that up. But anyways, I signed up. Everyone should check it out. I think whatever Jack Dorsey is going to get into, he's obviously going to align it with blockchain and with Web3. And so I'm wondering how he's going to make that Markably different from Twitter with a crypto wallet. You know, how is it going to be different? It's going to be a new social network, but how is it going to be different? What are the lessons that he's learned? And I'm wondering if he's going to try to figure out a way so that way no one can be deplatformed. Just an idea. But what 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 do you guys think on all that? Deplatforming, you know, should we have platforms in the future or is it just kind of all going to be floating on, on a chain that no one can really get deplatformed from? Well, if you think about why would any centralized company charge any fees? 30% is extensive, but why would you charge any fees? So first off, you're doing hosting. So you are providing services. You're, you're having security. You are providing services. You're also at 30% raking over the coals, but let's say it wasn't 30%. Let's say it was 3% fees. Will we be bitching as much? We're, no, but we're trying to take a moral high ground to say, well, it's 30% and it should be decentralized. And it's like, wait, 30%, you just don't like the fees you're paying. If it was 3% and you were getting value at 3%. So I think the argument, as time has gone on, I'm becoming more convinced that the argument is no different in Web 3 than Web 2. The argument is just like, these corporations now have like pseudo monopolies or near monopolies and so now they're raking us over the coals and it's just excessive. I don't mind paying fees. It's just excessive because in a Web3 environment, you're going to pay fees, right? They're just, they seem more in bite-sized chunks, 5% at each little stop instead of whatever percent. But net, you might end up paying more, but you don't care. It's the perception of decentralization. And so like I think about Twitter versus Blue Sky and I go, okay, well, how, like, how? It's called texting, right? That's total decentralization, texting each other. No one's going to deplatform me. We can just text each other. And it's like, well, okay, let's say that you, what did Jack Dorsey learn? Maybe Jack Dorsey's learning. I know he's a Bitcoin fan, but what if we've learned that, uh, and, and Sarah says, yes, it's just excessive and it is getting more excessive. And, and when, for example, governments and gas prices start to get excessive, we do start to go, we want an alternate system. No, we don't. We just don't want it to hurt so much. <laughs> and so we we presume that we want a new system and maybe, but like with Twitter, Twitter does host your tweets. It has histories of your tweets. Like there's, there's hard costs to managing this thing. And so maybe they've done their math and they think, well, 30% sounds high, but what if that's 30% of like three bucks? That's a buck. Does anyone care that they're having to pay, you know, iTunes or Apple a dollar for access? I can't help it if I'm not a great marketer and not making a shit ton of money on my app or uh, Apple can't help that. So I, I just, I wonder, we know it's excessive. I agree it's excessive. Is Web3 really the magic bullet? And what, what do we do with servers? I guess in a proof of stake world, Jack Dorsey can say, listen, no one's going to ever get deplatformed. 
because it's proof of stake, it's tokenized, which means that the computer processing, the server farm is, is literally decentralized. And, but you're still paying fees for that. Someone is, um, ad space is, or we are. So I think we need to get specific what we don't like. And, and for me, I, I'm with Sarah or myself. I just think it's the excessiveness. And that drives us into new domains. But what if the prices weren't excessive? What, what are you thinking there, Jay? Jay? You kind of rolled back like you might have had a thought. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I get the, the way that I was thinking about it is the only way you can get rid of deep platforming is if we get rid of advertising as the main revenue driver for these social media platforms. That's an interesting correlation. Yeah. As long as the the platforms are relying on their advertisers and advertisers want the platforms to behave in a certain way, then they'll always be deplatforming. Like the biggest deplatforming that happened recently was Andrew Tate. I don't know if you guys were following Andrew Tate. Um, and he ended up leaving. He, he ended up going to Rumble. I, I don't think Rumble has a, uh, a crypto connection although there is like a lot of crypto videos on rumble but uh their whole thing and they, they sort of pride themselves on being the platform where you you can't be removed from and i'm not really sure what their their revenue model is either but i know that it's a public publicly traded company so, it is publicly traded interesting yeah. so okay. I, some of it well, i think we just sort of have to sit back and wait and see what the the revenue model is that that we eventually come up with because like interesting point yeah, in 2005 in 2008 like we had no idea that you know the majority of social media platforms are only going to make money from ads right like yeah, yeah. facebook initially didn't want to do ads at all and then they they sort of just had to settle for it and now they're one of the biggest ad platforms in the world but i think one of the things that we're going to see happening is with the all of the deplatforming that's happening is we're opening up the door for something new. And it's just up to us to sort of try to figure out what that new thing is and eventually how, how it's going to work. It could be like it works like something similar, like a, like a DAO or like micropayments, like, like you, you're advocating for a giant where it's just sort of insular and everybody and, you know, it's, a, it's our own unique ecosystem and economy where we're, we're all paying each other um, or maybe something else we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I have no problem. Like, I, I think that's a really great point, Jay. And I think in 20 years when people watch the social network, which I remember when I saw it, I was like, dude, that's insane. Cause yeah. in 2004, I was living 30 minutes away from Harvard. What if I just walked down there and be like, Oh, Hey bro, what are you working on? You know, my life would have changed. Yeah. And so I constantly think about that. But when you watch the social network in 20 years, you're going to be like, wait a minute, this whole thing started off without ads. The entire thing started off without ads. And then they're going to read about the 2016 election. They're going to read about all these elections around the world in 2015, 2017. They're going to read about the oh, I'm blanking on the name. Maybe you guys can remember of the Cambridge data, Analytica. Cambridge Analytica. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And that was all just because they had people's data because people were giving their data freely to these massive corporations. And then the corporations were monetizing that and making money. And I think in the future, and I sent you guys a video on this in the chat, and it was all talking about how in the future, privacy is gonna be something that people are really gonna want. And even Apple changing- you think so? Yeah, as far as our data, 100%. Do either of you actually wake up and care about privacy? Um, yeah. No, but I think that the younger generations may a lot more than we do. Really? They've seen how it's messed us up. They've seen how these, they, I mean, they're, 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 they've like seen, like, like they're going to look at, they're going to do case studies of the 2016 election in Cambridge Analytica and all the information is there. So like the fact that you have these powerful organizations and, and companies that have our data and then they sell it out, that's not good. Like long-term, we're going to look back at that and be like, oh, wow, we let that happen. We didn't know you weren't reading terms of service or it wasn't like transparent. <laughs> so, but to get into a, a social media app that I would want is something that this guy, Joe DePinto, who was actually on my podcast, and I think it was episode 39 on More Than Blockchain. Um, I, I don't think about it, but like Olivia, uh, like like Olivia, like, like Cyrus said, I care deeply about it. And I think that if you want your data privacy, I totally think you should have access to it. And we've seen like the rise of DuckDuckGo. Telegram is totally, you know, more and more users are hopping on Telegram. Apple changed the uh, 
thing for the iOS. So that way you can basically block people. So that way they can't like follow you around the internet and then basically send targeted ads. So I do think that that is really where the narrative is going. But one of the social media apps I would love to see, I would pay $50 a month. I wouldn't even think about it if I don't have to have bots in my DMs no asking bots. me to join an MLM to sell, I don't know, sugar door to door and get my five best friends to do it. I would easily do that. And one of the social media things I would love to see is you pay a dollar a month. And then every time you tweet, it's uh, or anytime you do activity, you put up a photo, it's one cent off that. It's one cent. one cent off of what? One cent off of your dollar or something. And if you don't use it at the end of the month, then they take it and you have to re-up. So if I post a hundred times, that dollar's gone and I have to put more money in the machine. There'll be some mechanism in there, but I would love that because then you do away with the bots as well. And you do away with the people that when I tweet on crypto on Twitter, they say, oh, I'll click on this link. And it's some YouTube thing about some shill. And it just like takes away from whatever you're trying to, you know, create on Twitter or create on LinkedIn or create on wherever, you know, LinkedIn is a place where we all live, but in the last yeah. like six months, it's gotten out of control. They've even it created that inbox. And then the general, they have two different inboxes. And if you ever go to the other side, it's like the dark side away from the Jedi. It's out of control. It's and there nuts. are people in there that are like, oh, personal development. Oh, we'll teach you how to sell on stage. I'm like, dude, you know, and the best thing is they reach out and they're like, hey, Jay Harris, we see your business could use our help with marketing. Well, we're in the, you know, we're, we're here to help you. We're marketers. No, no, no. They like, start with, thanks for connecting not. with me personally. And then they go into it. <laughs> it's bad. And I will say that the reason when I first got into LinkedIn uh, about three or four years ago was a guy, I gave him my LinkedIn and I was trying to get um, business leads for a business that I had. And that was the worst decision ever because he sent all those people, those, those, um, those emails from me. And I had no idea those inboxes. And to uh, this day, I'm still taking people out of my contact list so I can be more kind of international development web three. But anyways, oh, I want to wow. pass the mic to you guys. What do you think about that? A social media app where you have to pay a little money, but you don't have ads, you don't have bots, you have a smoother experience and everything's kind of upfront. It wouldn't be social, right? It would be professional. Yeah. yeah. Well, it could be social. It could be social. Anytime someone goes to a bar, they're paying a premium to hang out in a social place. I say this all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's exactly Every alcoholic drink you have is worth 15 to $20 in the United States because every drink compounding too, you're probably more likely, oh, this is going to be good, sorry, I'm going to read it. You're probably more likely to get an Uber. You're probably more likely to eat trash food. And you're probably going to add in shots if you start drinking beers. So like, I think there's a social premium. To, I think there's a premium, a financial premium to be social anywhere in the world. Yeah, it, and 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 you can tell because if I were paying, if I went to a bar that was required uh, to pay, like we go to a nice bar in town, but I wear this and my gym shorts. I got like my five inch inseam gym shorts that I wear with this outfit. And this is a nice bar. And like it's high and most of the people coming in are dressed in like full length and sometimes coats. But I go in like this. And so I have discovered that for that $15 drink and for that $28 entree, um, I I can go like this. Now, if I were in a $150 play to pay or pay to play, I would actually probably have to invest in the whole outfit. So there, so like there's this increase in investment, but I guarantee the people that I'm rubbing shoulders with are people that I could do deals with, right? And so you do, you are pay to play already. Uh, and there's already incentives in some of that. So I do believe that we're already incentivizing social. I don't think it's normalized to incentivize because when, remember when these social media platforms came out, they were the web three of the day. We were like, dang, I can contact anybody. It's so underground. And like, and I don't care what it takes. And it's, it's, it's the wild west and it's so cool, which is how we felt when the internet first came out with blogs and list servers. Then we had like bulletin boards and GeoCities, and now we've got social media. And social media, remember, Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley's concept of a burn rate largely got codified with social media because they realized we had this following. We don't even know how to monetize it yet. And the advent of advert-based funding was not this grand villain. It was the means by which a company could give the people what it was asking for. And because like, 
And, and, and maybe we could wrap this down into what Sarah's saying here. Florida man headlines are a direct result of absence of privacy protection in their state constitution. And I can project that probably means I picture a lot of like um, uh, criminal headshots, you know, ma Florida man arrested for, you know, beat bopping in the street with a alligator, you know, and a child gets hand bit off, you know, something insane. And <laughs> welcome to Florida. Um, so I imagine it has to do with that specifically around like criminal privacy, like, you know, the person hasn't even been prosecuted or found guilty yet, but they were definitely arrested for, and that stays with them for life. So maybe like um, a regulation of some kind, especially for people, you know, for at-risk information, but I guess in principle, I don't walk around afraid for, I, I don't understand and maybe you guys can enlighten me. Like, what is the action? Like, I go around and go, I wish to God these companies would serve me better ads. I wish they knew my mental profile better so that if I jump from Amazon website to my local news website and that ad service, oh, there's that banner ad. I forgot to bookmark it. It was readily served for me. It was exactly what I needed. Thank God there's no privacy laws. That's literally what I go through life thinking because I get served up customized stuff all the time and it gets better and better. So I go around grateful for it, like literally. So tell me, can we empathize with like, what is the visceral concern about privacy? Other than like you being Florida man, Sarah, it's a good point. But what, like, what do you guys see? Jay, you want to take this? And then we can also talk about George's comment. Uh, I, I mean, I guess it's like it, most people feel like they don't have anything to hide. But I think everyone would be would feel weird if everything they did was available to anyone for anyone else to see. Like, you know, in the middle of the night when you're talking to yourself, you know. Yeah. You know, that week when you didn't take a shower at all any for any of the days, you know what I mean? Like it, it seems like nothing, you know, when you're thinking about it absent mindedly, but like if every if the rest of the world found out that that would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a, I had a conversation with my buddy last night and he's in Arizona and he's traveled around. He, he, he and his wife are travel PTs. So they've lived all over the country and I think it's just a slippery slope. And I think there's questions here about how much control the state has. And I'm not one to worry about government overreach, but you know, what Snowden uncovered is still real. It's still yeah. something that exists. And as we start to put our value on chain, when we have CBDCs and everyone's on CBDCs in 15 years, then I think you definitely want more privacy than you're maybe taking into account now. And I just think giving up private, because the, the video I sent you guys was talking about the idea of giving up privacy for security. And we do this all the time. The towers get hit in 2001 and the Americans or people from the United States say, you know what? Patriot Act, whatever. Look through my phones look through my emails, look through whatever, because we don't want to be susceptible to terrorism. So we're going to exchange security for privacy. And this happens. This is human history. This has always happened. You know, the king will overstep and say, well, I'll protect you. Come within my walls. Well, the problem with the walls is, yeah, it keeps people out, but it also keeps you in and then it subjugates you. And I just think when we go into this digital world that we're in, once our value and the way that we're exchanging everything is on CBDCs or can be monitored when like blockchain monitoring gets really good. Um, it gets, it, you know, it gets a little into like minority report area. And I know that that sounds crazy, but it's not, especially with the blockchain being immutable, you can go figure out shit. Like this is how they figured out who's the, those, those two who famously stole like $5 billion of Bitcoin, whatever, you know, it's there. This is how the government U S government has recovered billions of dollars of Bitcoin from thieves because they the just NB has just announced that they have almost identified the people that stole 170 million just recently in the hack. Exactly. So I do, think, I do think privacy is a very big concern, especially as our lives go more and more online. It may not seem like a concern now, but it's a slippery slope where it's like, if you give up an inch every day, you know, if you give up a percent every day, well, that's 38 X in a year. And I don't think that it's a conversation. Many people are kind of, uh, attuned to because maybe yeah. not spending as much time on the internet as maybe some of us are. And I think Cyrus totally right. Privacy is regarded as fundamental because without it, the entire dynamic of social, uh, a cultural navigation, um, 
I feel like she's missing something there. Ah, is impacted dramatically. Thank, thank you. Yeah, it, I, I think it's a big deal. And I think also when you've spent time in like Latin America, for example, there's not a country there and there probably is. I'm just going to make a pretty generic statement here, pejorative statement. But Latin America has dealt with governments and regimes that have been really, really brutal. Um, disappearing people, killings, mass killings, massacres, mass murders. Um, and this is where the government just overreaches and they're just spying on people. Um, and they're just trying to figure out information. And I mean, the Black Panthers in the United States dealt with this, right? The FBI basically said they were a terrorist organization and they were not, but that's how they were labeled. And so, and then they, you know, had a bunch of espionage on their organization. So I just think it gets dangerous because whether it's an individual or an organization, if the government has too much reach, it can really uh, create a situation where the government just has too much control. And we don't have to look too far to understand this because Russia and China are basically in those states right now. Um, where they're heavily kind of monitored and policed and their words are policed and their actions are policed. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, it's a slippery slope and I don't want to get too into it into like the, the dynamics of, of the politics, but uh, Jay, do you want to talk about George's comment here? No, I didn't see George's comment. Oh, I see uh, up here now. Yeah. yeah. Any social platform can be enhanced with Curate. I'm frugal, but will pay for quality and value. Lots already to do with LinkedIn. Interesting. Yeah, I I I pay for LinkedIn, and that's that's part of part of the reason. It's for the the, the quality of the connections that you're able to to create. I I'd probably pay more if they would they would allow for my my inbox to be a bit more organized <laughs> than it is right now. But but um, actually, you know what? You know what's what's interesting. Recently, I've been thinking about stop about not paying for LinkedIn. Because I feel like a lot of the benefits that you get out of it, you can probably get them for free, right? Just like connecting with people, not necessarily in DMs, but like in the um, in comments and stuff like that, you know? And I sort of feel like for me, LinkedIn sort of works seasonally as well. Like there are times when I use it a lot and then times when not so much. So it's like, times when you're growing and then versus times when you're building. Yeah. Well, and, and I would echo that I paid for LinkedIn premium for a while. And you know, the, the, what you have is a problem with product market fit. I got rid of it because I was getting leads, but the quality of those leads were relatively low. I could connect with people. The DMS were there. Um, but the quality of even the people seeking leads for me, cause I was doing like personal development coaching and vision and goal team alignment facilitation and that sort of thing. And those people who put in that they were seeking were also like not quality clients. They were tire kickers. And I thought, well, this is silly. But now, Jared, that you mentioned, if I could pay a premium and it just block all bots, I would do that even if LinkedIn created the problem. Let's say they, let's say LinkedIn itself said, hey, shit, we could charge for people to not get bots. Well, let's invent a thousand bots. And like, like I would even pay just to not be bothered. Um, now, I have Twitter Blue and Are I you? pay Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and it's only two bucks. Are and you using I, the hex though? I don't see any hexes, my guy. Oh, I was. I was hardcore using the hex. And okay. I, then I was like, well, how do I use this? Because like some of the NFTs fell out of favor. That was the other thing. Like, like it was one thing to sh it's one thing to have a um a blue chip nft to have an ape or to have a punk or to have a doodle i didn't or a zuki i didn't have any of that and so i had like second tier and it was almost like hey chicks look at my camry and it's like what you pulled up in a camera who cares you know like what dude <laughs> honestly rocket though i i actually pushed back i think it's way cooler when i'm on twitter and i talk to people and they're deep in nfts or deep in crypto as the three of us are and they're rocking something i have no idea about it because i'm gonna learn about you well, know it's like what i did i published my profile as an nft and i'm uh, and i just never f followed through with making that my hex it was still my face, but it was still a heck. So I still wanted to like flash, but it'd still be me. So if we don't mind, I'd like to actually follow through with Sarah's train of thought here because she says something massively heavy. She said, um, uh, she corrected me and said, it's not just uh, criminals, it's normal people because you risk being taken out of context. 
And I go, oh, that is, that is a big problem. The risk of someone getting a soundbite that leaves the beginning and end of the soundbite out and they create a new narrative because they're better marketers. This is a valid point. And I thought, well, but not many of my friends are targeted for social engineering. She, and she goes on to say, um, here we go. She goes on to say, social engineering is greater vulnerability. I'm thinking, what's the big deal? And she goes on to, and, and I want to get here. Privacy was regarded as a fundamental because it, without it, the entire dynamic of social culture is at risk. We already said that, but then she posts this. This was the heavy part. She is trained to excavate mass graves. And the threat is any armed group, gang, government, or corporation. What she's pointing out and revealing is my centrism. My American centrism. And how... I'm thinking about this. Uh, yeah, and I even said, what is she talking about? I was like, wait, what are you talking about? And she's trained in forensic anthropology. And that's gotta be heavy. And you make a great point. Maybe privacy isn't so much a capitalistic conversation. Is this good? Is this bad? Do people care? Do they not care? Is a product market fit? Maybe this is actually a human right and a humanitarian issue because the rest, like your point, Jared, the rest of the world doesn't wear freedom as a badge, like go America, right? Like, I mean, the rest of the world is, is teetering, if not steeped in some form of oppressive regime. Um, it, it could be argued too, that the United States is teetering or near some form of oppressive regime. We just don't see it. The way that we consume in this, in this society is almost like a Kanye West has a couple of lyrics about this, but you know, it's like, we're kind of like <laughs> praying to a new thing. We're being controlled by a different thing, whether it's the news and these narratives where what Sarah's talking about is also where you just have, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, it feeds on perception. You have the right and the left in America. And this is true, honestly, in any country where I've been in, there's a conservative and a, and a more liberal side of things. And every once in a while, there's a, a socialist or there's a centrist or there's somebody else. But, you know, the, the uh, an asteroid could fall from the sky and they'll both cover it differently. And yeah. um, this gets a little bit away from the privacy issues, but I do think privacy is a fundamental right. And, for example, if someone hacks into my computer and they take a video of me sleeping and put it on the Internet, that's an invasion of my privacy. Right. Um, and I see it no differently than if they're looking at my texts or my emails and then they're able to make, you know, make, make moves off that. And so I do think that privacy is a huge issue. And I do think that Gen Z and the younger generations, and honestly myself, I just don't think about it as much because I'm not too worried about it, like Jay says. And, but, you know, there's nothing I'm worried about getting out. But just because it doesn't affect me doesn't mean I shouldn't be worried about somebody who it could affect. Um, and it's a slippery slope from there. You know, like, That's interesting. oh, I'm not going to care because, you know, they're only looking for, you know, they're only uh, hunting down people like this. Uh, they're only hunting down people like terrorists this. or, yeah. you know, rebellious people, you know. Yeah. You That's know, men over men over six feet. Well, I guess I'm safe. Good. Great. I'm safe. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I think people weigh your height, bro. The camera could it could be anything. It's true. It could be it's true. Five. Five, five, eleven and a half. Um. <laughs> But maybe we should go. Can we go to? I think I want to go back to George's comment. If you can bring yeah, that one up, please. Yeah, I'll bring right. it up because I, I thought that that was really quite great. And George has been a pretty, you know, ardent follower of ours. Uh, professional person can be enhanced with AI boosting experience. So I agree. I think frugality. When someone says they're frugal, it's different from being cheap. Cheap yes. for me is like I don't have enough money, so like I'm literally not going to pay for it. Frugal is more of an intentional thing where I'm making a choice to. And it's Jay, I love that you brought up LinkedIn because I'm also paying for LinkedIn right now. And I literally was looking at my bill and I'm like, eh, I think I may ditch this because other than being able to reach out to people and write them the inbox, you can get a lot out of LinkedIn just by engaging with people and just by posting and just by showing up. And you know, when people have lives or they have spaces or the LinkedIn audios, I guess that they're called on LinkedIn, if you just show up for people, I think it really comes back and it's also not yeah. showing up that you're hoping that they then show up for you. No, you got to give without any hope of getting it back. Right. Um, yeah. But how do we, as we transition from this and we go back to the original Apple conversation. Yeah. Crypto. How do we think crypto plays a part in social platforms? Is it going to be better? I tweeted actually today and I think I put it up on LinkedIn. And my point was this, I said, 
I'm building, I'm getting it up. I said, which current social media network will be the last to adopt a digital in-app wallet? I'm betting it's the one that won't make it to 2030. Just a hunch. What do you guys think about that? Am I right? Am I wrong? Do we need it? Will there be micropayments? Will there be in-app things you want to buy? What are you guys thinking? Jay. Well, di which digital wallet is going to survive? Was that or which point? social platform will be the last to adopt a digital wallet? <clears throat> will oh. that also be the first one to die, essentially? <laughs> the last to adopt a digital wallet. I've been thinking a lot about like why you need a digital wallet in a social platform. Um, I've been thinking about this too. Yeah, and it, it, there are some places where I think it makes sense. Like if you, you're like in in Facebook, where there were a couple of things where like you've got like a marketplace and people are already trading in that marketplace. It sort of makes sense if you're a social media platform for you to lock down the entire experience, much like what Apple is trying to do with their 30% cut and forcing everybody to, to get into that. Or the, the other thing is, um, oh, I, I'm forgetting, completely draw, drew a blank on what the other thing was. <laughs> no problem. No. Uh, but, uh, but the well, purpose of a wallet is ambiguous, you mm -hmm. know? It, it's blurry, I think. I mean, I don't so, think... go ahead, Jared. I was no, no, go, go, go. I want you to build on it and then... I'll... No, I was just going to ask you, like, it raises a great question. Is your question pointed about wallets or is your question just pointed about social media platforms ideating, integrating Web3? I mean, it can't be, it can be both, right? For me, it's more like this wave of everyone having a digital wallet with probably USDC or some CBDC or a stable coin or Bitcoin or Ethereum, this is happening. And it's, it's going to continue to happen, right? Cash App, I think, has always been the superior product when it's compared to Venmo, at least in the United States. Cash App today threw up, they have Lightning Network now on Cash App. So yeah. that's amazing. And, you know, you can already hold and I think send, don't, don't get me wrong there, but you can already trade fiat and hold crypto on Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, Square, all of these payment services. So then as you're able to like exchange, I just wonder if the future of social media is inextricably tied to your wallet. And I bring this up because I had a conversation with George from Unstoppable Domains. And I actually then went and I bought more than blockchain.wallet, which I thought was pretty cool because in the future or even now, more than blockchain.wallet could be a website. It can also be where I can receive messages through email which will probably eventually get to a chat function where there'll be a telegram, but you'll just have, you know, you'll have your wallet for unstoppable domains. And it can also be where I can receive money. So in the future, if you go and you follow me on anything, it's at JCRPNTR, you'll probably be able to message me there. You'll be able to see what I'm up to and follow my feed, whether it's like a blog or a website or Instagram, and you're going to be able to send me money. So I just think that Twitter's starting to, to get ahead of this curve and see that that happens. Now, I think Jay's spot on because Facebook has its built-in marketplace. But in the future, we may be using Twitter. Hey, if you want to come to my, you know, come to my space, it's a dollar. You know, Jack Dorsey's going to be talking about Bitcoin. Oh, I really want to go to that. And I already have money in my wallet. Great. I'll go visit. Um, it could be a way for us to support creators. Oh, uh, J. Cole just dropped his new album and he's going to actually drop it on Twitter as an NFT. And if I buy it there, it's $10. If I buy it through iTunes, it's $12. You know, he's going to give less because he's going to get more because it's direct to the creator. So I think social media in the future is really going to be platforms or maybe not, maybe more decentralized. We'll see how that plays out because I think we've talked about the problems and the quagmires with decentralization, but they're going to be places where creators are going to be able to exchange real value. Um, instead of going on to the Shopify to buy my t-shirt, maybe I just buy a t-shirt direct from Spotify, um, excuse me, from Twitter to support not crypto bros because they're selling it on Twitter. So that's kind of now, do thinking. you do you think I mean, isn't that just what MetaMask vision is? I don't know if MetaMask. No, because MetaMask vision and this is my this is my humble opinion here is that MetaMask is all about keeping people's privacy there. So you don't know you just have a hexadecimal code. I'm talking about tying my Twitter to a place where I can already 
you know, I can already post content and I can already receive messages, but if I could directly receive value on Twitter, then I don't have to open up a Shopify to sell a t-shirt. I can just sell it on Twitter as an NFT. You know, I think you're going to be able to mint directly on Twitter eventually. Um, well, and I guess, I guess this, this is all orbiting the question, do you need a Twitter native wallet? And I think that because Twitter ties into, for example, OpenSea and integrates into OpenSea, I think because of that, I can stick my hexes now, but I technically also own GrantSparks.eth, right? My ENS. And if you have an ENS, or I also have my ADA handle, I have a Cardano handle as well. Do you? And <laughs> yeah, GrantSparks.ADA or whatever it is. And so I have these, and I think these services just need to connect to the rails of whether it's MetaMask or whatever other wallet. And this kind of leads me to a question to either of you or Jay. Once, it's, especially since Jay worked with a central bank at one point, not our central bank, but a central bank, uh, when we launch our CDC, our CBDCs, and, and you guys with the Canadian CBDC, or maybe yours is taking a step backwards, I'm not sure, but the US CBDC, when this is launched, will we, like, I agree with the use case, Jarrett, like 100%. I believe you'll be able to mint. I believe the micropayment to attend that live with Jack Dorsey would, would be outstanding. Like if I could just drop a buck, but why go through the conversion? And I think I posted on this today. The IRS just launched a new um, definition of terms on digital assets, and it will require you to, and we knew that they were asking for this, but now the bill is being floated to the United States Congress to put into code, which most likely it will that you really have to declare every currency exchange. So if I have a Twitter-specific wallet, which means I should probably have a Twitter-specific token, maybe, it's not required, but that it, there, it's incentivized for Twitter to launch that so that you're dealing with their tokens, they're getting interest on their own token, and then you convert, that little conversion will be considered a currency conversion. And that, so the IRS is, is making a negative incentive to have multiple currencies. This is the definition is doing this. The defi the IRS definition is disincentivizing or de-incentivizing multiple currencies. So they're doing that while the SEC and the Office of the Comptroller are working on the US CBDC to de-incentivize having multiple currencies and then centralize your use. And it's just going to make sense for me to give a buck of US digital dollars to that to that thing so i guess my point is are we really going to have social platform specific wallets and you sound pretty confident about it jay what do you think we we sort of had that for a little while and me and and then a lot of the bigger players went away not not from a wallet perspective but think of like I feel like if I'm remembering correctly, like when we had, I don't know, 20 different search engines, they all allowed you to sort of like sign in and get access to some dynamic information that was really just for you. Like you could sign into um, Microsoft on, on their thing, you know, if you had your, your Hotmail address or whatever, and then they, they would serve you up ads and stuff that was specific to you. You know, and then eventually all of that sort of went away. You could You could use Google without having to sign in and there was no need for you to 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 go through that whole process i think like eventually that the need to have like a wallet that's um that 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 works in that way i i i think eventually goes away that it's something that it's a lot more integrated into your life rather than integrated into your application so like, but what if Jared is a super user? Like, there are super users. Right. So it, it, it would be, I think it would be like the wallet. It's more likely that the wallet is going to be integrated into your phone rather than into your app. And then it just runs across all of your apps in the same way that maybe you could possibly use an Apple Pay. I was going to say Google Pay or Apple Pay kind of hit all of those. Go ahead, Jared. What's your thoughts? Yeah, because like MetaMask kind of does that, right? So I can have my yeah. MetaMask now and pull my... I have MetaMask and then I can show my NFT on my OpenSea. It's tied there. I can show it on my Instagram. It's tied there. And I can show it on Twitter. It's tied there. Right. But, and but it, it, it only works. My bad. So like MetaMask only works with like the stuff that's already partnered with MetaMask. Whereas Google Play or, or Apple Pay 
work with any provider. So the like if if I wanted to only because it's further down the road and has made the partnerships that way. Yeah, it's the same thing. Make, it's the same right? thing, Jay. Google Google Pay is just a platform and Visa, MasterCard, Discover all sit on top of it. Just like MetaMask is the platform and Instagram, Twitter, and OpenSea sit on top of it. But you can right? only make purchases inside of the MetaMask app. You can't make purchases through MetaMask on the phone, only in the app. That's not true. Because if you think about OpenSea. On your oh, phone, on your phone. On your phone. And I'm even thinking desktop. I guess, you, I, I guess you're right. So, so is that a better experience? Or is it a better experience for you to have Instagram, OpenSea, uh, or let's just, you know, Instagram and Twitter, because I think we're already so used to OpenSea using, Jay, as you're pointing out right here, MetaMask. You have to go through the MetaMask even when you sign the contracts. It still has to be done through MetaMask. Mm -hmm. I just think, and I could be wrong, and I think Syra brings up a really good point. And Syra, I just connected with you on LinkedIn. I'm excited to talk more. And if you're deep into privacy, Super I, sure. yeah, yeah I would love to look at that further for a more than blockchain episode. Um, but, you know, she says, I would be very reluctant to use a Twitter-specific wallet. And that rings, that like resonates a lot because a lot of people have been on Twitter recently being like, uh, has anyone connected their MetaMask to Instagram or their trust wallet or their Coinbase wallet to Instagram? Because there's kind of like a fear. What if you connect just to show off your ape or whatever it is? Yeah. And then somehow there's a glitch and they haven't worked it out, you know, because the first one through the door gets, gets the most bullets. What, what does, you know, what does that look like? And I do think, that if Twitter really leans into this and they want to be a Web3 hub, then in three or four years, it'll, everyone will just have their Twitter wallet. And maybe they'll only use two or three cryptocurrencies. Like it doesn't have to be a you know, holy host of cryptocurrencies, but Ethereum, Bitcoin, and a stablecoin. I don't think that that would be a bad thing. I, I think Sarah's getting at this right here. And I think that, I think this is important. Like, Jay, this is a really good point. On your cell phone, the MetaMask app, for those who don't know, if you want to make a purchase with MetaMask on OpenSea, you have to open the MetaMask account first and then browse through the MetaMask. That, that's saying like, I would have to open up Google Wallet and browse through Google Wallet. And that's, that's a little janky. But to your point, Google Pay and iTunes, they all queue right up. But that's just because the agreements they have. By that, I mean, they have, they're big enough and they have agreements with the major credit cards they have their own rails with like Plaid and other um, uh, architecture, like actual developer architecture that's already built into the websites. So like Google Pay will not appear on a website that isn't equipped with Google Pay. It might, it might say, do you want to try to pay it? And it might loop around, but there are some websites where Google Pay won't inject itself. There are some websites that iTunes won't inject itself. That's because it hasn't been set up by the developer. But my point is this, we don't even notice that. For the most part, it's nearly ubiquitous. And you're absolutely right. My point is what you guys, my point is, is in hearing us talk about it, this points me even closer to something we were talking about off camera before we came on. The future of Web3 is to be absorbed into TradFi. I am calling it here and now. 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, 80% of all that we know as crypto will get absorbed as into underlying, like we always talk about it. The best NFT use is the use when we don't call them NFTs. That, that like when I talk to the NFT providers, like my friends at Relic, when we talk about it, they're like, we wish everyone would quit using this term. It's digital ticketing and it's got benefits that go with it because people are getting hung up on these terms. And for 80% of the use out there, it just gets absorbed. My point is this, what Sarah is talking about, if you could browse to any website and use Google Pay, iPay, or MetaMask, just like you use Google Pay, like all options show up. Or in Jared's example, Twitter, she's talking about, man, and the super user I'm talking about, let's say Jared really is developing that Instagram audience and he just loves all things Instagram. And all of because of crypto and how Web3 is actually being built to connect with bridges, and inter um, and um, compatibility based interoperability is happening across. This is like the war of interoperability is going on right now in Web three. As soon as that takes, we'll have our option: Google Pay, whatever. Or if you just love the brand of Twitter, 
Elon owns it now or whatever, and you're just up Elon's butt and you love Elon world, you're just going to stick with Twitter and get that Twitter wallet. So I think, Jared, I'm swinging back to thinking there might be the use case because it'll just be so easy. It's like actually having, a, when you were a kid, a long chain wallet and on the wallet, it's your favorite brand or your favorite band or whatever it is. You're just going to be repping your favorite X, Y, and Z. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Jay, what do you think? I'm not entirely sure. Like, I, I feel like we're, we're we're not we're not in the weeds, but we're like we're like talking about stuff that and not sure how it's gonna play out. You know, it's kind of like you got to Yeah, you're prophesying a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of feels like we're like three dudes in a dorm room getting really high. Like, yo, man, what? Imagine about Facebook. Yo, I put up single like back in 2005. Um, but I I wanna um I wanted to I wanted to say that. You're totally right, Jay. We don't know how this is going to pan out. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next six to 12 months after Twitter launches their crypto wallet. Because are people going to be like, ooh, we got to follow what they're doing? Or are people going to, you know, I think there's going to be three reactions. One, people are going to already trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. One is going to be a wait and see. And then one is going to be a, no, we're not going to do that. That's just not who we are. That's not what we get into. Because one of the things about MetaMask being accepted as easily as you say Apple Pay and Google Pay is you get into a KYC AML situation where you can't really have people, um, you know, I, I don't know how the e-commerce works and I don't know what like the IRS implications of that are. But Jeff says Web3 decentralization. Anyone else hearing the irony here? Jeff, I, I want you to dive into that more. Or Grant or Jay, do you pick up on exactly? I mean, obviously he's being sarcastic and I love it, but I'm not. I've got a comment here about something that we recovered about this a few episodes back. But first, Jay, did you have any reflections on what, what you think Jeff is responding to? And Jeff, if you get a second, just let us know which comment you were, because uh, uh, this this is ironic and we are hearing irony, but it could Very be applied ironic. to several topics here. Jay, did you know what he was referring to? Oh, wait, wait. oh, here we go. <laughs> there we go. Okay, thank yeah, you. There we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there allowing, allowing Muskie and Zucky to control of my money. I'm sure that, that's, that's what Jeff's lining up for. He's just getting ready, you know? <laughs> He's like, oh, brother. He's like, I can't wait to put it on meta. <laughs> so, and, and I don't know if the, if the guys agree with me or disagree with me on this particular part. I actually don't believe most fanboys and fangirls of Web3 decentralization. I don't believe they actually want decentralization. What I think they want is re-centralization. What I mean is this. We don't actually care if it's decentralized. A lot of our knowledge is generally decentralized in a technical aspect, not in a power aspect and not in a profitability aspect. But I believe re-centralization is all the general public really cares about. And that simply means this. We're sick of the excessiveness that we talked about earlier in this episode with Sarah's comment. We're sick of the excessiveness and we don't like so much power being centralized there. So whether or not it's truly decentralized or whether we diffuse the power to ease off that pressure a little bit, maybe it goes from 30% fees down to 10% fees, we'd accept that re-centralization a little bit. Um, so I, I believe that as, and Jared says no, he believes, okay, hit me, Jared, what do you got? <laughs> Bro, how are you going to accept a 10% fee when TradFi has always been 3% and 30% per transaction? How are you going to accept three times more than that going into the future? That doesn't make sense to me. Say that again? So normal e-commerce, uh, normal e-commerce expenses. If you buy a t-shirt and, and I yeah. use, um, Stripe, it's going to be 3% of the total fee plus 30% yeah. per transaction, um, 30 cents, uh, 30, 30 cents, excuse me, 30 cents yeah. per transaction. So yeah. how are you going to automatically accept 10% as we move forward? Well, I mean, we were weird. compared to the iTunes store, right? I was giving yeah. you an example, not, not I know. the average transaction. Sure. The sure, average, sure you're but, right. The average transaction is only 3%. So what are we bitching about? I was giving an example specific to like the iTunes store, but you're right. You're right. Part um, of this feels like when I'm bartering with like an old, like when I lived in Guatemala and I'm in bartering with this old Guatemalan woman about avocados and she looks at me and she's like, well, he's not from here, but his Spanish is pretty good. So where's he from? Oh, I think he's Cuban. I think he's a reggaeton guy, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll throw me these ridiculous prices on my avocados. She'll just yeah. trying to get some aguacates because she's smart and she yeah. knows if she's if it's worth a dollar and she throws out 10, well, if I bring it to five, then I'm being reasonable. But I'm yeah. still five, five times more what I should be paying. And that's yeah. what this feels like. This feels like yeah. an aggressive 
tactic where they really have nothing to lose. And they're just trying to throw it out to see what the market's going to do. And I'm yeah. hoping the market pushes back as it did against Meta because Meta totally dropped that. And to be fair, we could probably do an entire podcast content creation about Meta and DM and Libra and how they spent yeah. like 70 I don't know. I think it was like $70 billion. It was a large amount of money that have just dropped into their metaverse project and it hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, so 10, 10 billion. I 10. thought I heard 70 billion or over the entire like five or six years that they've been chased because they've been trying for DM since 2014, well, 20. I've heard the 70 billion in terms of the overall investment and not including the failed components. I think Jay, I heard the 10 billion on the currencies and the gotcha. currency within the metaverse um, is the thing that we kind of label as failed. They sold it off, as I was saying before we came on the show, to a TradFi. This is what I mean. The, the technology was proven, but it didn't get done with the masses. But the, but the institution saw the value and it got sold to Silvergate. And Silvergate then launched the code language called Move. And Move is the coding language of Aptos, which just launched. We talked about that. This is what I mean. It's becoming so abstracted now because the actual value in these inventions are so under the hood that the average retail crypto boy and crypto girl is like, I don't want to figure that shit out. Can I get my freaking NFTs and my hex? I'm gold. Like, I think that that's all the average user will want, which is why I stand by. I think this stuff's going to get all absorbed. We won't even talk about Web3 in another five years much. Really? We'll be Jay, Jay, what do you think I on that? Does it get a, hmm, it, 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 it's like, you know, like I, I, we, we all, we talk about it all the time as the, the next iteration of the internet, like yeah. the internet has staying power so that we can talk about it on, on its own as if it were its own entity. But I wonder about that for web three, like web three seems to just be like improvements of stuff that we already have. And eventually that stuff gets improved. And, you know, like, I think I might be with you, Grant, that there's no reason to keep talking about it because, you know, it, it's just like an upgrade to the firmware where like we haven't actually switched, swapped out the system. Now, what we will talk about, we will still talk, like, this is why we labeled, this is, and but I think we had foresight. This is why we labeled the show, not Crypto Bros, because right now the, the information is labeled in this lingo of crypto. We will be talking, but like we talked to this day about like the latest Apple iOS rollout, right? We absolutely talk about that. Uh, and Jeff is totally agreeing with you, Jay. So I think we'll still nerd out about the iterations. Now, that's 80% of the way. I think the 20% will be revolutionary. And Jared, I'm pointing at you when I think about Lightning Network and Bitcoin. I'm thinking of Krez with BSV. I'm thinking of um, what Sarah was talking about. We didn't put a pin in this. What Sarah's talking about privacy, browsers like Brave Browser trying to reverse the privacy equation where you're in control. There are very interesting projects that are trying to give you your knowledge graph and you toggle which of your information you want available to the world. And now you get micropayments based on what you've made available to the world because we already know my personal information is a currency of its own. It just needs its own soul token or whatever we're calling it. And as soon as I can get a knowledge graph and then I am in control with my own ledger or my own keys, as soon as I'm in control of that and then I can go in just like my personal profile and toggle, okay, I want them to know my hair color and I want them to know my book preference, but that's it, you know, and, and go from there. As soon as I have control of that, I do think we'll be talking about how Web3 and crypto is affecting that. But I think some of this layer one, layer two technology, onboarding wallets, I think it's just going to get abstracted and absorbed because the public wants it easy. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll pay 4%, Jared. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. A lot of it will. will <laughs> Jared's like, fuck this guy. <laughs> you guys are rolling over too easy, you know? Yeah. The, oh, you we need to join the rebellion. Uh, Let's join the rebellion. Uh, the yeah. bear market. Uh. Uh. <laughs> not at all. I mean, have you guys, you guys, yeah. you guys, you guys, you guys <laughs> no, like, well, here's what I love though. <laughs> my, remember my core value is financial freedom and financial freedom doesn't necessarily mean total agency over my own currencies. It means I also want to make sure that I am trying to be realistic about where to invest money. For example, Silvergate buying, uh, Diem, as we just mentioned, I wish I would have known about that because that's a TradFi company. I can buy the stock and I could have gotten ahead of that. 
but I was so nerding out about how ADA Cardano is going to be the thing and, and shame on me. And it might still be. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff. Well, I don't know why he said that. Petition, but at this point, seven years in Canada, he's Canadian. But wait a second, Jeff, why are you saying that? Because here's the funny thing, Jeff. If you ever want to come on to our live streams, you could say that at any time and you will get my exact same reaction. I just think it's so funny. In fact, I want to get Jay a shirt that just says so Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. So fine, so Canadian, and just like a maple leaf, you know? Just exactly. Like... <laughs> no, I, 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 I want to push back on your Web3 yeah. thing. I, I think Web3 is here. I don't think it's going anywhere. And I think sure. you're told, I, I think you're, I agree with you on the fact that a lot of these things are just taking the hamburger and putting on some sauce and putting on some grilled onions, you know? Yeah. But honestly, <laughs> that's a better burger. That's a better burger. So, you know, if you want to get the double patty at McDonald's or you want to get the Big Mac, all right. So I think some of it's going to be improvements. That's what it's going to look like now. But yeah. then I think just like change, when you look back, like, holy crap, these were wholesale changes. And I think yeah, we're having a very U.S., Canada kind of true? mind around this. Because yes. you say yeah. you don't care about your currency. Well, there's billions right. of people right now in the world that are losing thousands of dollars every right. day because their currencies are dying. Right. And I think the larger, as in this, once again, the Bitcoin maxi is about to come out. And I wish we had someone producing so it could be like a bear sound or something. Like, <laughs> but I mean, what Bitcoin is doing and what you're talking about, I mean, Jack Dorsey is one of the first people to say like Bitcoin humanity. Uh, this is what Michael Saylor says. This is what Saifedean Amma says. These are people that are deep into what Bitcoin can do and how it is totally different from our current financial system and the fiat printing if you can't print money you can't print war i am a firm believer in that now so there is argument for this being a better thing for humanity you know if we're on the bitcoin standard i do think this is actually a question maybe we can look at next time how does bitcoin fit into web3 because when i think of bitcoin it's like How around Web3, but it's not in Web3. Because Web3 for me is like dApps, DAOs, DeFi, NFTs. And then Bitcoin is kind of separate. And the reason why I want to ask this, and we can dive back into this, and anyone please comment, is because I'm currently being asked these questions daily as the now crypto guy at Mercy Corps, which is an international yeah. nonprofit and that has you know field offices in 42 countries. So yeah. I think we should do our... Yeah, yeah. So I got a shout out. Yeah, go ahead, Gary. I, I, I want to shout out, and I might be stealing some people's thunder. I, I got to shout out to Sarah first, and then also Jarrett, for pointing out that when we talk about crypto, we're not necessarily talking about technology. Because when we, when we talk about technology from an American-centric perspective, we're, we're basically talking about capitalism or currency or economy, uh, getting ahead, investing, money. But when Sarah pointed out, and Jared, you also pointed it out, I think we also need to be talking about these things in terms of human, uh, hu humanitarian crisis issues. And when we talk about, uh, and for those who don't know, Jared has a, a large background in Colombia. And so it's, so I am aware that the peso is now approaching 5,000 per US dollar and it's devaluing nearly daily. Yes, daily. And when we talk about that, we really do need to be talking about this as a humanitarian issue of these people not being able to, to you know, to spend how much, you know, if the bread's $3, it's now 15,000 pesos, whereas in earlier in the year was only 12,000 pesos. That, that's significant. And so I think we, we need to bring the humanitarian voice out. And Sarah called this out. She, obviously, she jarred me with this Mass Graves comment and her background in this. But it's true. And that got me, that full stopped me on my argument that I've had in my head for years about privacy. Because privacy is not an American issue of, I don't care, send me better ads. And people are like, that's not what we're talking about. We don't want to go to pro political prison and, and be disappeared. You know, we'd rather not be disappeared and extradited if that's okay. And it's like, oh shit, you're right. So I give a shout out mainly to Sarah for being on today and for sharing that humanizing point. Jed, got anything? Uh, you know what? No, I don't have any shout outs today. I'm just going to say no to this one. I feel like pressured every time at the end of the show, like, oh, you got to come up with a shout out. Like, no, I don't, you have, don't to. have to. No, you're <laughs> yeah. good. Jay, you yeah. totally don't have to. 
You totally don't have to shout out. I'll, I'll finish out the show. But Jay sounds like I saw this rapper recently and he was on like a, a podcast and he was talking about how he doesn't freestyle. And he's like, dude, I don't freestyle. I just dropped 12 songs on an album that took me a year. And you want me to come in and make something up? Like, right I now. don't do that. Yeah. And you're not going to pay me. This is not how art works. So I feel Which like is true because Jay does produced short run podcasts that are right. highly orchestrated and written and crafted. And us two loud mouths get on here and run our jaw for Yeah, we're like, minutes. Jay, freestyle. Come on, man. You got a freestyle. Give, give me 16 bars. Anyways, <laughs> I, I want to shout out everyone in the comments today. Jeff, it's great to see you. Jeff, your comment so far, Jay, you are so Canadian, is one of my favorite comments. And we are on episode 25. So go ahead and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube at Not Crypto Bros. And we will see everyone this Saturday at 6.30 a.m. Eastern time for Small Business Saturday. And if you want the replay, check us out on Spotify. Thank you, everyone, so much. Have a great day. Peace, y'all.